Welcome to Exploring Next Generation Education, a conversation with Katanjali Rao. I'm Hiller Spires, Executive Director at the Friday Institute for Educational Innovation here at North Carolina State University. We're so excited to have Gatanjali join us today. Gatanjali is a scientist, an engineer, an author, and a STEM promoter. Most of you know that STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. Gatanjali won the Discovery Education 3M Young Scientist Challenge in 2017 and was recognized on Forbes 30 Under 30 for her innovations. She was named America's top young scientist when she invented Tethys, a device that detects lead contamination in water. And that was in 2017. And most recently, she was named Times 2020 Kid of the Year. We are so happy to have you with us, Katanjali. Good morning. How are you doing? Hi there, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. So let's see, Zach, can we see Gatanjali? There she is. So you're joining us from Colorado and uh, you've gotten up very early to be with us today. Yes, so are, I are, are you already ready for school? I am not yet. School starts at like around eight o'clock today. So I have a bit, um, but no, I just had to spend my morning here with you guys. So yeah. yeah well, we're, we're really happy that you're with us. Um, I was wondering when you go to school today, will you be joining physically or will you be joining remotely at school? It's all remote, which makes it that much easier. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I thought we would get started uh, with an easy question. You know, we're curious about your story. So would you be willing to share a little bit of your story about how you became interested in STEM at such an early age? Absolutely. Um, and it wasn't really one specific aha moment where everything tied together. It was more of this continuous process of building and growing and as well as like learning the concepts of STEM and trying to figure out if that's exactly what I wanted to do. And for the longest time, you know, you, I, I was under this impression, which a lot of other kids still are, about this idea that one day you're going to wake up and find your passion and it'll all make sense, right? And it's not really like that and it'll never be like that. Um, so I've soon found my passion for obviously changing world problems and creating scientific innovations. Actually at the ripe old age of four, um, when I started <laughs> innovating, um, just with the world around me. And it was like small things, but that's when my parents really saw that spark in me. And that's what led them on to just supporting my dreams and my journeys. And that's quite literally what I do every day. Well, I know that your parents are very supportive of you and they've been an inspiration for you. Are there other folks who have inspired you along the way, either like famous inventors or teachers that you've um, worked with? Anybody who's inspired you along the way? Absolutely, quite a few people. So um, obviously regarding famous inventors, my biggest jump into the field was Marie Curie and Jonas Salk. Um, both of them hearing about their work actually inspired me to 
just do something better for the world. Um, apart from that, I'm very inspired, obviously, like I said, my parents and my family, but also by my teachers and mentors who have supported me since day one. One of my second grade teachers, Miss Stockdale, told me when I was in second grade, after I spelled like fire extinguisher right or something, she was like, you're going to change the world someday. And obviously it, that stuck with me. And that um, it made a difference in my life knowing that, you know, if I was going to do anything, it would be to you know, prove her right all these years later. Great. That's great. I read that you were motivated by the Flint, Michigan water crisis. Tell us what you did after hearing about that crisis. Yeah, it's a good question. And it was a lot of different things. But um, after hearing about the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, it was just so appalling to me to see how many kids my age were basically drinking this poison, you know, every single day. And I just needed to find a way to help that out. And for the longest time, I didn't really know what approach I was going to take on it. But I soon realized that obviously the approach that I wanted to take on it was just fairly straightforward. I just wanted to find a way or help people out with detection of lead in their drinking water, mainly because knowledge of contamination is always so difficult, especially when you're living in, you know, a state that's not as fortunate as other places in the United States. And um, I guess even diving deeper into it, I, I learned so much about Flint and how their water had an impact on education and the economy. And that's really what motivated me to do something about it. So I created a device to help detect lead in drinking water called Tethys. Um, and I actually received my patent for it last week. So now I'm a patented inventor. Um, and uh, it, it's just such been such an incredible journey. Um, and my next immediate steps are to help out with field testing um, in places like Flint, Michigan. And hopefully we'll see it mass manufactured soon so that everyone can start using it. Congratulations. That's an amazing story. Tell us um, how you came up with the name of Tethys. That's an interesting title. It is, it is. And Tethys is named after the Greek goddess of fresh water. I'm a huge mythology buff. So a lot of my devices will be named after random mythological characters, I find. That's great. Thank you. What about, um, I know you have an app called Kindly. Can you tell us about that app? Yeah, Kindly is an anti-cyberbullying service that's able to detect and prevent cyberbullying at an early stage. And it's built on basically the basis of artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language understanding, and processing. And that's a lot of jargon, but basically what that means is it's able to use this computer-based background and pick out words and phrases that may be considered bullying. And it's built on this continuously evolving service, meaning that it's continuing to be updated every time there's new emojis, memes, terms, slang, whatever on the internet. Um, and at the same time, it's not intended to be punitive. So instead of going directly to a punishment, it just gives students a chance to revamp what they're saying or just rethink their words. Um, just to help them be aware of what they're saying, because it's it's a choice-based system, not a punishment-based system. Um, and on top of that, let's see, what else did I want to say? Oh, um, it's basically available as a Chrome extension and a standalone app, but overall, it's an API call. That means that anybody can call it from any sort of front end and bake that into their softwares as a whole. So think about it as like... Um, spell check, but for cyberbullying. It's almost the same way. 
Well, I think that's a very sophisticated approach that you have. Um, instead of just automatically going to punish, you're, you're nudging people and giving them hints. And yeah. that's such a sophisticated psychological approach. How did you come up with that? Yeah, exactly. And your own, yeah, was it something from your own life that you just realized was important? Or how did you come up with that? No, absolutely. And I think it's just having this young age experience, right? A lot of the cyberbullying apps that we see out there are usually developed by people who are like three times my age. And basically what I was able to do just looking into it is realizing what do teenagers need? What do students need? And what students need is a chance to be able to talk to others without repercussions in the way. Um, they just need a chance to rethink what they're saying and I guess understand why what they're saying is wrong mm-hmm. um, and kindly also involves this mood and sentiment thing. So thing, very sophisticated answer, but um, <laughs> it's basically like this kind of, or mood and sentiment analyzation pattern that I baked into it, which means that the message, the mood of the message is being identified at any given point in time, which makes it that much easier for the user. Um, And along with that, at the same time, I guess we were talking about personal experience as well. I've moved to seven different schools in the past 10 years I've been in school and never really felt at home until high school. So every new place was a new set of people, a new, I guess, year of being pushed around or, you know, thrown off to the side and isolated. And it was always normal. Right. But I, all I needed really was just to, and I never stood up for myself because I was just such a shy little girl. Um, not anymore. Um, but I guess at the time too, I, I, that's what I wanted is for students to be able to understand, yo, this is wrong. Like what you're doing here is incorrect. And, You know, in order to fix those actions, you need to just take that step by telling them it's wrong. Mm -hmm. That's great. Now, I also uh, see that you've written a book. Um, I believe it's called A Young Innovative Guide to STEM by Simon and Schuster. Can you tell us about your book? And I guess more importantly, I'm really interested in how did you find time to write a book? Yeah, so... Ooh, so Young Innovators Guide to STEM was a book with the goal in mind of essentially taking my guide that I use for myself and handing it over to the people who might not know where to start in their innovation journey, which means students. Um, And basically the time for writing that book is, is a question I get very often. And it is when you get thrown into quarantine for a year, there's nothing else to do. You write a book. Um, and that's what I did. In March, I wrote a book, got the manuscript done by May, handed it over and was like, you know, like send it over to 15 publishers. 14 of them said no. One said yes. Fantastic. And we just carried it out from there. Well, we have... Um some professors on the call today. So I'm sure they're, that they're um, learning from you about how to write a book and how to be persistent when you're writing your book. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think writing a book is such an important thing, especially, I mean, I can't be saying much, I'm 15, but like during the process of like, um, I guess just your journey, writing a book has probably been something that has helped me out the most in terms of understanding my work, as well as helping me self-reflect on it and giving it over to others and receiving their opinions on it. And I think, I guess I already kind of got what I needed when I sent it over for like endorsements and things like that. Um, But 
it's so exciting to see what people think about this and hopefully understand that people are using it just like me. When I said I'm writing a book, what a lot of people thought was it was going to be like an autobiography about my journey. And honestly, it did start like that. But I realized that, you know, we can only have so much quote unquote inspiration after that we need instruction. And that's kind of what I was hoping to bring. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, what are some of the problems that you're currently working on? You've, in, you've had these other inventions. Um, what are you thinking about these days? What, what wakes you up in the middle of the night? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest things that I'm working on is detection of cryptosporidium in drinking water. So what that means is it's a waterborne parasite in third world countries such as locations in South Asia, as well as sub-Saharan Africa. And there's a lot to it. There's a lot of people facing drinking water challenges because of crypto in their water. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking for a way to detect that using genetically engineered bioelectric sensors, which is horribly difficult, but um, it is a very, very fun project. And I'm excited to see where it goes. I don't know where it's going to go. So I literally excited. (laughs) And apart from that as well, I'm looking at future pandemics. That Mm -hmm. might be my next project beyond that, hopefully doing research in a lab somewhere. But future pandemics is what I have found this new passion for is the spread of diseases, especially after COVID. I've been tracking it since day one, Um, hopefully trying to create all sorts of simulation softwares and stuff like that. So I would love to use a data and analytics type of method to prevent what happened this time around so that we're better prepared. Great. You know, at the Friday Institute and also at the College of Education here at NC State, um, we have a lot of programs that focus on STEM. We have uh, professors who do work in that area and staff who do work in that area. And one of the things that we're constantly um, thinking about is how do we attract more more girls, more women into STEM and more uh, Black, um, Indigenous, and people of color into STEM. Do you have any suggestions for us as we continue to think about that? Yeah, great question. I do have a couple suggestions. And my biggest thing there is make them feel home, right? And being part of like both groups as well. It is, it's difficult to see, you know, science with people that don't look like you in it. So introduce them to role models, introduce them to, you know, people out there who may have, I guess, an impact on the world that look like them. And then try to connect STEM and science and changing the world to other subjects that they might enjoy. And those are my three biggest things. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And um, I was thinking also just about school in general. I mean, obviously specifically STEM, which is uh, your passion, but just in school in general, what advice do you have for teachers? Because we have a lot of teachers on the call today. Um, what do you have? What advice do you have for teachers to make school and even STEM more engaging for students? Great question. And I actually go to a STEM school, so this is going to be a little bit biased. But um, I guess what I have learned is a problem-based approach is what solves everything. Um, I guess there's only so much that math tests or math projects can do. It needs to be more of application in the real world, especially baking innovation into the early curriculum, which is where I want to see things grow grow upwards, that means. Um, And then along with that as well, um, I guess within this idea of education, we need to introduce 
teachers as more of mentors, right? Mm -hmm. I guess we look at teachers as someone who can only give us like an A or a B in a class. But I think what we need to change that to is the way teachers can help us and support us in our efforts to be an innovator, a change maker, to be whatever we want to be. And I think that's what we need to see is that new level of belief. Mm, I like that. Thank you. Um, I want to change gears now. We have a student panel who has joined us for the session, and I want to bring them on now. So I'm going to ask them to turn their cameras on and their audio on. We have four students who are joining us, and um, they're fascinated with your work, and they're also very interested in science. So we're going to let them ask you some questions. Are you ready for that? Yeah, I'm down. Okay. Let's see if I can find Ellen Hagerman first. Ellen, are you there? I am. Okay, let's see. Can we turn the spotlight on Ellen, Zach? There she is. Hi, Ellen. How are you today? I'm good. You? I'm doing great. So Ellen is 10 years old. She's in grade five at Westboro Academy in Ottawa, Canada. So thank you for joining us, uh, Ellen. I'm gonna turn it over to you. And um, Ellen has two questions for you. Okay, my first question is, how did inventing Tethys change your life? Cool, so um, it changed my life only for the better, of course. And um, it, it's brought me this new perspective on, I guess, how people innovate and how people solve problems. Um, Chat, this was the first ever thing I created from idea to reality all by myself and made it into reality and handed it over for someone to check out. Um, so that was the best way to kind of get involved in that experience early on. Um, and then also with Tethys, it gave me this opportunity to think bigger and solve bigger problems. The past problems I had solved were fairly small and I was excited to kind of just dive back into it um, and solve more problems and solve bigger problems. So that those are probably the biggest ways to change my life. Thank you for your question. Don't you have another one? I do. Cool. And my second question is, um, I'm interested in starting a business and how would I get started on that? Ooh, good question. So um, I unfortunately do not have a quote unquote business yet, but I have a lot of tips, especially because a lot of my best friends run businesses. And the biggest thing in order to do that is well, obviously your own drive and motivation, understanding what your business is about and seed funding. And all of that is totally possible at your age. The biggest thing to start here is just fundraising, telling people about your work as well as spreading awareness about it. Um, so telling them why you're doing your business, maybe setting up a GoFundMe or, um, you know, talking to people about sponsoring your work and, and fundraising for just the slightest bit of money. Think about it like if you were going to start up a lemonade stand, right? that's still a business. What you would do is you would need a little bit of money to go out and buy what? Lemons, water. How do you make lemonade? Oh, sugar and ice cubes. That was awful of me. Um, and you would, you know, you'd need a little bit of money to do that. You'd go to the store, buy it, create your product and hand it over for people and get some money back with a little bit of profit. And it's just a continuous cycle from there. So 
when anytime you're coming up with a business or even like a product idea in general, connect it back to what you know. So connect it back to this idea of a lemonade stand. How would I build a lemonade stand from bottoms up? And how could I do that with my business? And in order to do that, you just need to find, um, just like I said, the main three things is your drive, um, seed funding, as well as uh, what your business idea is. All right, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. So Ellen, I know that you said your favorite subject is science. Is there anything you're studying right now that you find interesting? <clears throat> um, yeah, we're studying um, forces, um, weight and mass. Mm -hmm. And I find that pretty interesting. Great. Well, thank you for sharing your questions with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So we're gonna move on to <clears throat> Lalani Chambliss. Lalani Chambliss, she is in grade four <clears throat> and she's at A.B. Combs Leadership Magnet Elementary School here in Raleigh. Hi, Lalani, how are you? Good. Um, good time today. I'm very excited to meet you and you're a wonderful role model for students like me who love science. Um, thank you for your many contributions. And I have one question since you already answered the cyberbullying one. So my one question is, do you get nervous talking to adults about your inventions? That's a great question. Nice to meet you, Leilani. So um, I don't, not anymore, I don't. Um, and the reason for that, I used to, and I still get nervous when I do huge talks, especially when it's not virtual like this. Um, but the reason I don't is because I know I know my content better than anybody else. Um, and nobody knows if I mess up except for me, which makes it that much easier. Um, and I, I figured that a lot of people just really like learning about my work and hearing from me. So I don't usually get nervous. Um, but if I do, it's for a good reason. And that probably means it's a small state. So actually something interesting about me is I'm more scared to talk to five people than 5,000 people. Um, I've always been that way. will always continue to be that way. I will have a, a freak out before I do a school presentation, but we'll be talking to 10,000 students and will not care. So yeah, it's definitely interesting. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Lalani. <clears throat> Lalani, do you want to tell us a little bit about your science fair project? I think it was called Germination Station. Uh, yes, ma'am. So my science project is about germinating flax seeds. And what we'll do is we would put them in three different spots. So I put them in my dining room table, my refrigerator, and on a window seal. And sort of what we're doing is seeing um if flax seeds can germinate with or without sunlight and sort of like that and um the dining room table grew the most so, and i thought the windowsill grew the most since it has more direct sunlight but since it was sort of in the winter um it didn't grow um it grew up close to the dining room table but didn't grow up to it and I was a little bit surprised that the refrigerator one grew, even though it's like really cold and there's like artificial sunlight. That's a really cool idea. I, I definitely did countless projects on germination in elementary school. So I'm excited to see that you're kind of diving into it as well. 
That's great. And um, let me just add to the audience that um, our students who are joining us from AV Combs, they are on spring break this week. So they um, left their spring break to join us to talk about STEM topics. So thank you, Lalani. We appreciate you. Thank you. You're welcome. So our next student is Aubrey Haynes. Aubrey is in fourth grade. And um, let's see if we can find Aubrey. There's Aubrey. How are you today, Aubrey? I'm good. Thank you for joining us. I believe you have uh, two questions. I do. So I have seen you on Good Morning America for your Tethys invention, and you seem so knowledgeable. So I was wondering, what was your biggest challenge while inventing? And did you make any mistakes? If so, what did you learn from them? Great questions. And um, the Good Morning America segment, let's put it into perspective now, was filmed four and a half years ago. So it was, I was when I was 11, which is crazy to think about. Um, but um, I have, I have faced a lot of different challenges and the biggest one is being stereotyped. Um, and it's one that I've continued to face day after day, right? Like, I obviously don't look like your typical scientist, but I received so much backlash on the internet for the way I look compared to my ability. And in the beginning, it was definitely so heart-wrenching hearing about all these people tell me I couldn't be a scientist because of my gender or the color of my skin or my age. Um, but soon it turned into almost like this motivation to be like, oh, you think I can't do it? Let me show you. Um, and it, it, it's obviously changed for the better knowing that, you know, there are people out there who can shoot me down, but there's that 1% of people who will raise me up and support me. And that's what matters. Um, and mistakes, countless, 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 countless mistakes. And whether it's something dumb as my device reading zeros or something big, like not being able to get into a lab, every mistake has its own weightage, right? And a lot of it does put a stop to my journey sometimes and makes me want to you know, throw everything out the window. Um, but I think beyond that, what I've understood is that innovation doesn't have a deadline. And most of the times that I get frustrated or that I fail or that I make mistakes is when I force myself with a soft deadline. And so now I've learned to kind of back up from that and kind of do my thing. And if I hit a roadblock, I hit a roadblock and it's okay to take a break. Hmm. So Aubrey, do you want to talk a little bit about your science fair project? Sure. So my science fair project was about um, seeing what my dog's favorite food bowl color was. And it was really interesting because she is a complete typewriter. She went from one side to the other and back again. And it was really fun. I love animals. And so I, um, I had a really fun time doing that project. Great, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, that's awesome. We appreciate your questions, Aubrey, thank you. So we're gonna go now to Odway Prasant. Odway, let's see if we can find Odway. Odway is in third grade. And he likes science because it helps solve problems and makes the world better. Sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> Can we find Odway? There he is. Hi, Odway. How are you today? How are you? And 
Thank you for letting me be a panelist today, Dr. Spires. My pleasure. Good morning, Gitanjali. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing really well, ask away. I'm, I'm honored to meet you. We have two things in common. We both love science and we both our families are from India. I have two questions for you. My first question is, is there a liquid solution to make plants grow faster? And my second question is, is there a other way to generate electricity other than, other than solar energy and wind energy? Okay, both solid questions and both ones that I can mildly answer. So I haven't done too much research in the field of liquids and plant growth, um, other than water, of course. Um, but I know that probably your best bet there, and I bet you kind of want to do research on regarding that as well. And so your best bet there will actually be looking at amino acids, um, a variety of amino acids that help plants grow. So proteins, well, amino acids bind together to create all forms of protein, right? And a lot of times proteins help with plant growth, help with boosting plant growth. And recently amino acids are found in obviously a liquid form and they're shipping it out from places like India, um, where, you know, both of us are from. And what's really exciting about it is when what, what they figured out is that they can use amino acids from your hair um, in order to fuel the growth of other plants and other substances. So it might be worth checking that out. And to answer your second question, there are all sorts of other electricity sources. So if we're looking at something small, there's obviously like piezoelectric and electromagnetic forces. But um, if we're looking at something bigger, there's like hydro or like water or wave-based electricity, which obviously makes the huge difference. Um, I suggest you definitely check that out. There's a lot more. Um, I just haven't done too much research in the field as well, but that might be a really great project to uptake as well. Um, and I mean, I guess just hearing from you, I know that you probably most likely have the potential to do so. So um, yeah, thank you so much for your questions. Thank you, Odway. Do you wanna share anything with us about what you're interested in inventing, Odway? I'm actually, I'm interested in inventing because it um, helps me understand the world better and um, it solves problems. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody, let's give a round of applause to our panelists. Thank you so much, guys. We appreciate it. Yeah, so we're going to turn now and take a few questions, Gitanjali, from the chat. So um, here I'm gonna take one from, I think it's Shannon Russell. Let's see, what are some ideas you have for STEM topics and taught to elementary students? So specifically for elementary. Yeah, great question. Um, and for specifically for elementary school students, um, I do a lot of teaching and workshops as well. And the biggest thing is the process of innovation is always great to discuss in the beginning. And then going into it even further, I love to discuss basic concepts. So like, um, like what does our heart do? What are the functions of the muscle? You know, body systems as a whole. I love to go into um, the basics of plants, right? Like what are the different parts of a plant? And that doesn't mean like going into the like AP biology type things. It means like, where's the 
petals, where's the leaves, um, which is always great to do. I always love doing a unit about health. So like washing your hands in general, what do vaccines do for you? Um, and then I do a unit, which is the latest technology. So, and these kids pick it up like anything else. Um, like I did a whole concept about 3D printing, genetic engineering, um, animal prosthetics, nanotechnology, 5G, virtual reality. And if you went to my elementary school, my local elementary school here and ask them anything about, ask the kindergartners anything about it, they'd be able to answer the questions, which really proves that it's not necessarily what you teach, but it's the way you teach it in. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just important to remember and just to do it in a fun, loving, exciting manner, as always. I mean, there's teachers in the audience. Everyone knows what's up. But um, uh, yeah, as like as someone who has run countless workshops, that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from it is not the concepts that you teach, especially in STEM, because whatever you say, they will listen to. It's the way you teach it and the way you portray the concepts that matter. Well, that's great advice for all of us as educators. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we have another question. Um, so Rohan Parashar, how do you get started on inventions with the lack of resources at a very young age? How, Great how do question. you, how and are it's you not, creative? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Creativity is such an important aspect to innovation. And I think the first thing that's wrong with this question is I'm not going to answer the question itself. And the reason for this is I guess I don't think of it as lack of resources, right? I think of it as opportunity for resources. Um, so what I usually do while innovating is everything is made with cardboard and a piece of paper in the beginning. And my work gets applied back into my work. So what that means is I take an idea, apply it into a competition, win some seed funding out of it. Well, apply it into usually like 20 competitions, win some seed funding out of it from one of them, apply that back into my work and it continues across that cycle. And soon I start making profit if I am selling my innovations or my work. And that allows me to really, you know, go above and beyond. And that allows me to get the resources that I need. Regarding online resources, all you really need to innovate is Google, a notebook and paper. And you're set. That's all you need to come up with an idea. And that's, that's exactly what I've been able to do. And that's how I continue doing. So look at it less as a lack of resources at a young age, but an opportunity for resources at a young age, I would say. That's a great perspective. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a question from Phoebe, who's age seven. And she wants to know, is group work hard or easy for you? Oh, group work is combination of both I never really just like any other well okay for the longest time just like any other student out there I was always a kid who was like can I work alone um but now it has changed to I can't work alone I have a team behind me 24 7 helping me out with um whether it's you know doing speaking events like this or interviews or um working on my research or helping with mass production I think collaboration is always important, especially regarding group work. So it's hard. It's easy at times, but at the end of the day, it's important. So I deal with it. <laughs> well, along those same lines of collaboration, um, have you benefited from working collaboratively with other scientists specifically? I have been thinking about it. I haven't done too much with it, um, but I a lot of my work is just a one man show, but hopefully Sometime soon, you'll be able to see something. Okay, great. So um, a question from Pooja, 
as a teen, how much time do you spend on devices? I'm assuming they mean he means or she means phones. What can you tell unmated, unmotivated teens? Any inspiration for them? Yeah. So the devices question, I probably spent just about as much time as anybody else on apps like Instagram and Snap and whatever not. TikTok usually. Um, and it's it it obviously sucks a lot out of my day, but I think it's important to understand that I've been taught to limit it. And um, more importantly, I've been taught to not measure myself based on likes. And that's where the problem is being drawn from. It's not wasting time. It's stalking through other people's Instagram pages um, or stalking through TikToks for an hour. And I guess it, it, you can do it as long as I, I, the, I guess the mindset that I go into it is I can do it as long as I'm done with my work for the day. If I want to, I can stay up to 3 a.m. scrolling through TikToks. I know it's not going to be a good decision, but if I want to, I can. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really what I tell myself. And it obviously motivates me every day to kind of do a little more. It's something more. And um, I uninstall the app when I don't use it or when AP tests are coming around or when I have to study for the SAT. Um, and that's really what allows me to focus. And I guess for this idea of unmotivated, it's just teens that need to find what they love, what their knack is. Um, and I've seen a lot of it, them. It's like they feel like they don't know exactly what they want to do. And I think the role of parents and teachers there is helping them find that. And that's just through the source of belief. Um, I was always asked, were you born a freak of nature? Right. And I am not by all means. And my parents can vouch I was just any other child. Um, but the what the one thing that differentiated me is the way I was parented. And this is the secret I share with everybody. But I was that kid that you name it, I did it. I was put into every single activity known to man, every single sport you name, I have probably played. Um, but the deal was, I can't I have to go to each class slash practice or whatever for one day. And if I didn't like it, I could quit the next. And I did. There was a lot of things that I left the next day. Like, I think I played football for a day and I was like, I'm over this. Um, still cannot play football to save my life. But um, there are so many other things that, you know, I found my passion for. I was really basically taught to go my own path. And that's the way that I feel like with teenagers, we need to enable them to go their own paths. Um, a lot of times we feel pressured, especially in school, to be a lawyer or a doctor like anybody else. But I think what it's important to say is, you know, everybody's passion matters. And as long as you're doing something you love, that's what's important. Great. I want to rewind. I think you said something um, earlier about um, like on social media, yeah. about not uh, taking the likes too seriously. I'm not sure exactly what you said. You know, if something, if somebody likes your work or likes likes you, uh, a post that you did. Did you say something about that? Because I think that's very important, especially also with um, bullying, cyberbullying. Absolutely. I said, I don't measure my worth based on likes. Mm -hmm. um, and even, you know, being remotely in the public eye, um, it's really scary when I post something on Instagram. It's basically like a whole day of mental preparation for it because when I post it, as soon as I reload, there's already 5,000 likes. And there's already 200 comments. And, you know, it's, I, I don't look at it. I turn off my phone, shut it down and don't have to look at it anymore. All I do is post and let it be. Um, and, and that's what's important is 
knowing that, you know, there will be degrading comments and knowing that the good ones always hype you up, but the bad ones always throw you down a lot. And it's important to find the ones, the good ones. Okay, great. That's great advice. Um, so another question from Shelly, where do new researchers start to begin their network? That's a good question. And to begin your network is Google. <laughs> and I know that's it. Awful, awful answer. But for any researcher, especially for me in the beginning, all I had to do was quickly do a Google search and be like, lead in drinking water experts and just email them. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, that's where I find a huge connection. And the rest kind of makes its own way forward. Or if you find a random crusty business card in the back of a drawer, reach out. That's what, so that's my biggest piece of advice is when someone hands you a business card, take advantage of it. Mm. Even if I'm never going to reach out to them, even if their work doesn't align with mine, I take the time to be like, hey, it was great meeting you at this conference and hopefully we can stay in touch. Because one day, if I do want to go back and if I do want to make that connection, I'm able to find that. Um, beyond that as well, it's always worth asking your colleagues, your students, your, you know, other fellow employees around you, because there's a lot that you can get out of forming a research network there. Um, like the way that I got involved actually with a lot of my research was um, one of my best friend's dad is, a, you know, a doctor, a physician, and um, just hearing about his work, he was able to connect me with a few other people and to enable my work further. So just little things like that help to start your connections and grow your network. Thank you. So we have a question from Andrea, and uh, she first of all says, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. And what are key changes you would like to see in our current uh, K-12 education system? We touched on that, but do you want to highlight any, anything specifically that you would like to see? If, if you could talk to policymakers or leaders in education, maybe what would be one or two things that you think are top of mind for you? few things. One is introducing more innovation into the curriculum and basically limiting test taking. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that's kind of biased because I've never been a good test taker, but I think beyond that, there's only so much test to improve your abilities for. I've always been a creative thinker and that's why tests are so hard for me to take is one, that stamina to sit in one place and to be able to take it. But also secondly, just it's knowledge that I mug up and that's not what I'm best at. I can't memorize things. I have to understand it from beginning to end. And that's what makes it that much more difficult. So that's the biggest thing that I would like to change. And also secondly is inequality and distribution of education. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I would like to do is make that more available, make education more available by using all sorts of technology, like virtual resources. I think this word virtual is one that we've been using for a while now, but I've started to use more recently. And there's a lot of opportunity with it going into how we can help with education in other schools across the world. Okay, thank you. Uh, one question I had is because I think this is on everybody's mind, especially educators, you know, during the pandemic, what for you as a student, um, what was the most challenging thing for you at, during the pandemic, you know, in terms of school, education, or even family life? Yeah, a lot of different things. I think the most challenging thing was obviously not being able to go see my friends every single day at school, mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously such 
an issue going forward, especially for a teenager. I did not expect to spend, you know, sophomore year at home when I'm supposed to be, you know, at homecoming and stuff like that, which is definitely a bummer, but I still have two more years of high school. I feel horrible for like all the seniors this year. Um, and especially the juniors, they haven't had a prom in forever. Um, and I think also beyond that, um, there's so much going in to like my research that I am usually at a research lab 24 seven after school and I haven't been able to go in and do my work. So it's been a lot of at home testing and shifting my projects over and figure out what exactly I'm doing. I had to put a stop to my opioid addiction project so that I could basically dive back into tethys and things like that. So it's given me time for other things, but limited me on a few things. So there's both positive and negatives in the pandemic, but um, I am most excited to see the growth in technology that we've made during this time. Yeah, I want to follow up on that because I think a, a lot of folks are thinking hard about, you know, what have we learned during the pandemic and what what can we take from this time and pull forward and and make education better? Yes, and the biggest thing that we have learned is we've created a vaccine in nine months that's 95% effective, which has never been seen before, right? We're making strides in technology in places like education, business, healthcare, like never seen before. And it's kind of unfortunate that it had to take us a whole pandemic to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think even beyond that, it's it's given us opportunities now that we can only grow upwards from here in the technology headspace. Um, if we can do virtual school, imagine what we can do. Every single student out there I know probably takes real school for granted now. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's us taking advantage of that. I have been doing online simulations for AP chemistry for the past year, and it's been the worst thing ever. Um, but I think all I want to do is get back into the lab and get my hands on things. And hopefully we can do that in the next couple of months right. here. Well, our time is coming to an end, and I know that you have to get ready and go to school, but I did want to give you one final opportunity. Anything else you want to tell our audience? Uh, any last words of wisdom? Yeah, I guess I always like to end it off with this idea of dream big and then think back to reality, especially for the kids in this audience here. Um, we're kids. We have the time to make those dreams into reality, and that's what matters the most. And, you know, an innovator can be anyone, no matter your age, your race, the color of your skin, your gender, as long as you have the passion and drive to do so. So for the audience, for anybody watching, anybody tuned in, it's just important to find that fuel within you and help other students fuel that passion of theirs, because that's what makes all the difference. And right now we need more innovators than ever to solve world problems. Thank you so much. And Katanjali, thank you. Ellen, Lalani, Aubrey, Adway, thank you all for your contributions to uh, the webinar today. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to close with one of Gatanjali's quotes. I found this quote and I love it. I'm going to end with this. Cool. I think being a scientist is being like a superhero because superheroes save people and want to do what is best for their society. Scientists do the exact same thing. Do you remember I saying that? Not at all, but I love Maybe it. Maybe somebody attributed it to you. No, I, I definitely did say that somewhere. I think yeah. I actually did a speech in a different language in India, and I said something like that there. So they probably translated it, if anything. So well, anyway, I love that quote. And thank you again for joining us. 
everyone, I hope you were inspired by this conversation, this dialogue. Um, I certainly am inspired and I hope everyone is inspired to go and invent and innovate. Have a great day, everyone. Take care. Thank you, Gitanjali.